You're listening to a Mash Those Buttons production. Visit us at mashthosebuttons.com. Hey there, welcome to episode 116 of Push the Point, presented by Mash Those Buttons, your source for Overwatch League news, player updates, storylines, and more for season four of the Overwatch League. I'm your host, Ramses. Thanks for being here. Whether you're in our Twitch stream right now at twitch.tv slash mash those buttons, every Sunday around 8 to 8.30 p.m. PST. Or if you're listening to us on Spotify, iTunes, whatever you like, leave us a review on whatever platform you like to use. We really appreciate it. I am joined by my partner in crime, Labosco. How are you doing, my friend? It's been a it's been a pretty it's been a pretty busy weekend for Chicago, although that's mostly just me thinking about wrestling for the most part. Yeah, I I didn't even know how busy of a weekend it was until you told me. So um for everybody here was, you know, business as usual unless you're a wrestling fan, I guess. So, um, no, it, 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 it was a very busy week for the league. That's for sure. Final tournament before we get into playoffs. And it was a very, it was a very interesting, very fun, very exciting way that it ended up ending as far as the tournament went. And, um, maybe not the result that people thought w- was going to happen too, but it, it definitely was a very fun week this week. And we had a lot of good games, I think, was one of the best parts. For sure. We have a lot of games to get into. Um, Before we start up, I don't think any news so far. I will say something that should be noted is um, we are, I think, 28 days into, um, well, 28 days since uh, Activision Blizz workers have sent their demands in to Activision Blizzard leadership uh, as far as what they're demanding from their workplace. Still no acknowledgement at all. Still no action on that up front, but we will continue to keep you posted. I think this was maybe one of the first weeks where we didn't have like a major developing story sort of come out as well this week, or at least I don't remember seeing anything specifically this week more Mm -hmm. than what we've seen in weeks prior. But I mean, we are a few weeks out now. A lot of the stories that that are worth paying attention to have kind of already come out. Oh, I will say that one to remember is apparently, let me find the tweet. There was somebody who works for Blizzard had talked about how um, they are, they're, things are getting now getting to the point where recruiters for Activision Blizzard are now trying to, are now stepping in and saying, hey, like you should tell people about all the great things that Blizzard has done recently regarding these developments. Look at all these new changes we've made. That like they're people are starting to get messages like more vocal people are starting to get messages from recruiters um, who are trying to kind of redirect back to positive changes that are happening. And it's just like. Like you said, that's just them sort of trying to redirect, though, that doesn't help. That doesn't change that. There's still a lot of problems still. Right. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I'm. I'm very when I hear that they're trying to do something like that, it's one of those things that it irks you a little bit. It's like, you know, this is way too fresh still to be like and to to think that the changes are positive when we're still not even sure. If changes are going to stick yet, I'm not surprised that people are doing that at Blizzard, but at the same time, like, come on. Yeah, so here's an here's a. um. 
here's a, an article from, I mean, PlayStationLifestyle.net may not be the best. Here, NME or Forbes might be a better one. Um, but pretty much Activision Blizzard staff claim recruiters want them to stop talking about toxic cultures. Recru- toxic culture. Recruiters for the studio claim they're having trouble finding candidates to fill positions. Where um, And somebody had put up a, a tweet saying, I'm from, this is Valentine Powell, who is a senior UI engineer for WoW, tweeted on August 17th. I am seeing recruiters approaching ABK workers who are pushing for change, telling them to stop being so loud. Apparently, it's making it hard for them to find candidates. This is a tweet from Jessica Gonzalez, um, which is a screenshot um, from a LinkedIn recruiter saying, hey, Jessica, I'm on the front line as a recruiter. Some of the articles that you are sharing freak candidates out. And then it's like a, a winking emoji tongue out. Um, can you please share what we are doing as a company to eliminate such toxic behavior? ABK has made many strides to head this off. Your updates don't seem to address this, <laughs> which um, again, requests of leadership have not changed. The strategy of trying to wait this out and just hoping that news moves on to something else hasn't worked, I think, as well as they would like. But I mean, we're still in the process. We'll have to check back in a month and see where things are at. Well, I think that we can already sort of see that's the case. I forget what the numbers are, but like I know there's record low numbers for a lot of games and stuff that that have come through and like a lot of growth that Blizzard had over the past. I don't know how many years was basically negated all by the initial announcement of the lawsuit and everything sort of following up to that. So there's a lot of of, uh, a lot that's already happened. It's going to be really hard for them to fully recover from this anytime soon and nobody should want them to fully recover in the current state that blizzard's in right now where they're still not listening to their employees so Mm -hmm. it's one of those things where it's like just got to keep paying attention just got to keep uh supporting and propping up the people who work at blizzard who are trying to make change because there's a lot of them they're very vocal on twitter especially um twitter sort of doesn't rule the world, but it's definitely one of the things that helps to make the gaming world go round for a lot of different things. So it's definitely one of the platforms to pay attention to if you're somebody who wants to to be more of an advocate than you currently are. Side note, it's not an excuse to go after or be me or like take shots at recruiters either necessarily because nope. their jobs are also hard right now. They're also but in a I, position where they got to do what they're doing what they're told, right? Like yeah. that's part of it to remember, I think, as well. It's not the recruiters that are doing this. It's probably people in charge of the recruiters that are telling them to go tell people. So, again, we'll keep you guys updated as more news comes out, hopefully. Um, But that's kind of all there is on that front right now. Looking ahead with Overwatch League, we are officially over. We've officially finished the season four regular season. And... Comparing this to past seasons, this might be my fa- like my favorite season since season one, as far as the indiv- like the different games, the different players we've gotten to see kind of pop off. Um, I do, depending on personally, this is like one of my favorite season I think since season one. Depending on where the league goes from here, I think this could be seen as a great like stepping stone season into what Owl could eventually become. But we'll have to see. I do. After this weekend, though, I do have a bunch of thoughts as far as like, man, if recency, if we're going just off a of recency bias, a bunch of these awards are going to be very easily not locked up. And that's the biggest problem that I'm having is that people are being very 
uh, how the season ended for certain people and certain teams and things like that and kind of forgetting what that the the regular season and this entire season is more than just this final tournament. I think people's stock definitely rose from this tournament, but I also think that um, other people who maybe weren't here right now who weren't playing their stock kind of, you know, they went up for me in certain ways as mm. well. So I, I'm not the biggest fan of, of having like like recency bias is always something that's going to happen regardless. But like if you're somebody in a position where you're looking at things, you have to objectively look at it and not let recency bias um, change your thoughts about other people. You know, it's sort of the 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 same sort of thing happens with like the Academy Awards, right? Like, if you're a great movie and you came out literally like two months before the Academy Awards, you, you always seem to have a better chance of winning that award than a movie that came out in the beginning of the year. Because it's fresh in everyone's mind. Mm -hmm. So th there's one person in particular, I think th the strongest case can be made for them because of this tournament. Um, and maybe somebody that people were maybe a little confused about why he was on the list. Maybe they're not anymore. Yeah, we'll definitely get into that. Um, let's go. Uh, we'll go into the first day of matches. Match number one, August 19th, Seoul Dynasty versus Atlanta Reign. Really fun match. Um, we were actually surprised to see, I think, and let me make sure I have the maps right on it. Um, Pelican makes an appearance in this game. Uh, people were concerned. We talked about last week with Pelican having, Pelican having a, um, a collapsed lung which is why he wasn't in for a majority of the countdown cup. I think he plays this entire game. He does play this entire game. Uh, now something that needs to be kind of, I think something that goes into this is that Pelican was still in Atlanta. Uh, he did not fly out to Hawaii with the team. He was still playing from Atlanta. I think they had said that on Thursday, he was playing on 120 ping. So it didn't seem to be that much of an issue. Or Atlanta to as far as going over Seoul, a, a lot of the Gators ball looks really good in here, but they still like Gator brings out the um, the Reinhardt on a map or two here, which is like an interesting pick. I wasn't that surprised by it. Like it made sense with what they were trying to do. Like like it's not like it was out of place ever. Mm -hmm. I think it's just it is out of um, it is non-standard compared to what we've seen most of the people running right now. Yeah, not but we did see other teams bad, run it like, too. You know what I mean? Like, like it was definitely a very map specific, map type specific thing. So I don't think it was like as out there as some people m made it seem. I think that it was. I thought it was fine. I, I I thought it made sense when you literally have maybe the second best ride in the league, you know, or mm -hmm. the best, depending on on who you ask. As well, this is still kind of a bummer from Seoul. I would have expected a stronger fight. I guess I would have expected like a a closer map score because all these maps, except for like Route sixty six at the end, are pretty tight. I mean, Busan's two and zero to Seoul. Bahanamora is three two for Atlanta. Numbani is five four for Atlanta. Most of the middle the mid game of this is pretty tight, but just when when they were really when it really mattered Atlanta was able to push ahead it really felt like they they had a couple of people making a difference in the game um 
I thought Hawk was a big difference maker specifically in this game for why they were winning. It also felt like um, they got some very good performances from both Kai and Pelican on different maps. They both mm-hmm. definitely carried at times. And and while Profit was really good all all game all uh, all series long, and so was Fitz. The one you noticed more of the two of them was Fitz. And then I think the tanks here for Soul didn't perform the way that maybe we would have thought that they mm-hmm. would have against this line. And Soul seemed to be running the the more, you know, they, they were running Animo and Creative on the the BAP and the Zen a decent amount. Like they seemed to maybe have some better answers there, but they didn't run it consistently. And and when they did the mirror of the Brigitte and the the Baptiste, it seemed like there was an edge for Atlanta. Credit as well. I've been I was able to notice it a little bit more this tournament just because I haven't thought about him that about him that much. Iris is still so solid on the flex support. Yeah. Not a name that gets thrown out that often, but he he quietly came in and took well, not quietly, I guess. He took over Dogman's spot last year and has just been consistently super good this whole year. Yeah, he was really good. Um, unfortunately, he gets shown up after this, but yeah, he definitely played really well. And in this series specifically, he definitely outshone creative. Um, not that creative had the worst game in the world, but but I the the bigger part to me was I I, I was a little surprised at how much gesture to you were were dominated by Gator and Hawk. I thought Gator and mm-hmm. Hawk, particularly in this game, were definitely showing up. It seemed to be they were showing up more than we were getting from Gesture and to you. And, and I guess Soul, as far as how they wanted to play, um, they they never seemed as sure of themselves as like what it, Atlanta seemed to always know what they wanted to do. Definitely. Moving into the second game of day one, L.A. Gladiators versus Chengdu Hunters. Really, so we got to see this matchup a good bit over the course of the weekend. Um, something to consider as well. I was looking at this. I don't think Moth played in a map this entire tournament. No, because they were playing the double flex support. Yes. Uh, is why. Because and I, Skewed was playing a lot of Zenyatta, and then you could keep Shu on the Baptiste and the, the Anna. By the way, I've been a doubter about that in the past as far as like whether or not that was a good decision when you have someone like Moth on the bench. I have been converted. Like this is this support lineup was so great this whole weekend. Looking into this map's match yeah, specifically though, Chengdu continues to do super well on control, especially in Ilios. Leave has this incredible play where Birdring um is throwing the translator, not translator, sorry, the translocator over the well on Ilios and right as he makes it, he makes it over and right. He is about to pop the EMP. And even before he can finish the, the animation leave, just instant kills him with a headshot from Hanzo. It was a, it was a very good series for them on control for sure. Like it, the things they want to do though, like this is when their, their comps work best, right? Mm-hmm. because they, they can be more focused on the fights. You also had like leave hit some nutty shots on, on Hanzo. Like you said, like, mm-hmm. I think that was one of the big things too, because there was fights that it was like, Oh, this is, this is going, this is a great opportunity for the gladiators to win a fight. Like the, the, the one 
headshot that he gets onto the Sombra before she can use EMP comes to mind. Like stuff like that, like just changes the momentum of a game, even if if you're in an ad- advantageous fight for your team. And that ends up like making one of the big differences in Chengdu even winning the, the point of well. Mm-hmm. It's also nice to like. The, out of both out of both APAC teams, I think something that in in seasons past, not as much this season, but I think in seasons past, something we've been concerned about with Chengdu is consistency as far as whether or not those comps are going to translate. And now like the, season three, they've been nothing but consistent in my eyes. They've managed to like they have transformed this team into a way where there's no like weirdness about like how they're forcing things or when, when they're putting specific comps together, that might seem a little bit unorthodox. It's because they have specific things they're forcing or specific um, objectives they are trying to achieve rather than, all right, the Farah is Jimmu's comfort hero ball is Amung's comfort hero. Granted Amung's not starting right now. We switch things around. Like there are things that they are, there are different win conditions they're forcing now by playing unorthodox comps. Well, they're not playing unorthodox comps anymore. That's the thing. Like their comps are the comps. Mm-hmm. You know, there's there's never a time where you're like, oh, that's a weird composition because what they're playing, everybody else is playing. So you don't have that anymore. And that's because they got people who could play more than one hero. You know, Jinmu has grown into an impressive player being able to play whatever leave can't or whatever they need Jinmu to play. Right. Gaga placing replacing Among can play more than just Wrecking Ball and, and Arisa. Gaga can play any tank you want him to play. He, to me, from what I saw this tournament, is the rookie of the year. I don't think there's a question about it after this one, in my mind. Um, Late Young has been a godsend for them for all of a sudden, you know, taking the place of Elsa, who was somebody that that people always appreciated, thought he was underappreciated. And then Late Young was somebody who was just kind of a, you know, an afterthought for the most part has been super impressive. And now they have a very good support line with Monk and Yvettel, who Yvettel can play whatever main support you want, and Monk apparently is their best flex. Uh, it's weird because they did play Farway 1987 on Monk for like one map in, in the, the final game of the, the in the final game, in the grand finals. Mm-hmm. But like the starting six that they've been putting out there can 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 flex to basically whatever it is that they want them to do. Like Jinmu can pick up some of the heroes leave plays when when they want Jinmu on there. Like like specifically, we've seen Sombra for Jinmu, although we've also seen a lot of leave Sombra as well. Like they have different options that they've never had before. Like anytime you'd seen Chengdu of old, it was because they couldn't play anything else because they didn't have the hero pools to do it. And now they have the hero bulls to play whatever. They also have the ability to force the meta because of how good they are. And and they find things that work better than other people. So I I think there's more to it than just, you know, oh, they they can play their weird comps, but they can play them better now. It's no, they, they can play whatever. And their weird comps are now the comps anyways, because they know how to best use them. They have the talent to do so. Looking as well, I think something that's interesting is that Late Young plays a little bit more Zarya than a couple of the other teams do. Um, some teams. I mean, a couple of the other teams, not all. Like two, you. I think we saw play a lot of Zarya at times. There's a couple other teams. Um, Hotba plays a lot of Zarya. 
but definitely has a much higher ceiling with with the Zarya than we see other teams do. Mm -hmm. Um, They're more willing to run it if the situation calls for it. So they're more comfortable doing double bubble than maybe a lot of other teams. Gladiators take this game in overtime on Oasis uh, three to two. Really, really tight. Going into uh, the second round of matches, our winner's bracket final, LA Gladiators 3-0 versus Atlanta Reign. Um, because, so, Atlanta wanted to get Pelican in on this game. Uh, apparently, there were ping issues where Pelican was facing, I think, 240 ping for the second day. And you're not allowed, I think, to play if your ping is that high, if I'm not mistaken. Well, and... So there were arguments that happened on Twitter, of course, because that's all we do on that platform. But um, so from what was said, I think I, I was telling you before, Halo of Thoughts and Packing Temple, high criticisms of it, criticisms of it, excuse me, that what had happened was like he was on 240 ping. Uh, they the rain had asked if they would be able to play on the West Coast server since LA gladiators are in Hawaii. They're not actually over in Korea or China. So like they, it would technically be possible. The gladiators agreed to it, but apparently production, um, nixed it and said that they were going to continue to play on the servers that would already set up. So therefore Atlanta couldn't play Pelican. Uh, Edison played that role instead. And I saw people with takes like, this is incredibly unfair. This is like super like, if both teams agree to it, like why, like this is the, so mishandled. And I understand from the perspective that the gladiators agreed, like we can play on Pacific to, on the Pacific coast server, but I don't love this idea of we're going to, of catering everything for the guy who unfortunately like, and this isn't any fault of Pelicans. There's nothing like bad to say about Pelican with this, but the guy couldn't make the travel to go over there. I don't know. Because, like, you've already made so many concessions to make this happen. Like, what's one more concession really going to matter to allow them to play their best lineup and give the best game possible? Like, what's the big deal about doing that? Like, normally they did run. They ran him for just Oasis as well. He didn't play on any of the other maps. Regardless of that, the, the point is, is like. You you you've already you're already doing so much. You're already making the teams that are Western teams do so much to even be able to play. They have to fly to a different place. They have to do this. They have to do that. Right. Like they're already dealing with a lot more than the teams that get to stay in one place have to deal with. So one guy has a collapsed lung. That sucks. He couldn't make the trip, but they still want to try and play him. And the other team said it's fine. Like, why does that matter? Like that? Like. Those are one of the things where where if you're the people in production and, and I don't I don't like that it's being put on production because it's not production who makes that decision. There's literal people who actually decide those things. It's not production. So the, whatever that, that's besides the point. The point is, is like you, you're already kind of in this weird place as far as competitiveness and stuff like that. Why not try and do this thing that allows the best six players from both teams to actually be able to play? I don't see a problem with it. I, I, I don't get why they couldn't do this. I, I'm not saying that it should be to the point where where people get up in arms of, of, about it, but but it is kind of BS that they couldn't do it. I do wonder if and again, I, I appreciate what you said as far as it being pinned on production. 
I do wonder if there is a technical component to it, what the technical component would be that would make it more difficult for them to actually run it. I don't see how, I don't know. I don't know what would make things more difficult or not. The The fact of the matter is, is that if they had the actual ability to do it and they didn't because, oh, the rules say we can't do this. Well, the rules have already been changed to even make this possible. What are you talking about? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, like I, I don't know all the details, but I can understand why people are not happy with it. Do I think it would have made a difference, though, in the game? I still don't think it would have. That's the biggest no. thing. Because it was clear, especially after the game with Atlanta, that that the best of the four teams were clearly going to be the two that that in in L.A. and Chengdu, like like once I saw the three oh happened to Atlanta and Atlanta didn't they didn't have much of a chance, um, which was really disappointing. I, I, I thought that a couple players played their hearts out and played really well in Atlanta, but overall, they just weren't able to compete which was the biggest surprise to me over anything else is because this was a team that that I thought that they really should have been able to beat. Although that also could be that that's the difference, I think, maybe with the gladiators more than anything else, is that they're finally rising to the occasion and the talent that they have. Yeah, it was a 3-0 win. Um, It did not look particularly close when you looked at any of these maps. They get they lose 2-0 in Oasis. Four two and Hanamura, and then they get full held on King's Row. I I I felt bad because I thought Hawk had it for on a losing effort. I thought Hawk played really well. Um, one of the things you saw was like for as good as Iris has been, uh, she was just another level. Mm-hmm. Like she, there there was a moment where they were in like a pseudo one v one on um, Hanamura, where they're both on opposite ends of the high ground. And 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 Shu just dominates Iris and, and creates an advantage for the gladiators that that otherwise wouldn't have happened if it's not Shu playing in that position. Like things like that make such a big difference. Like I thought Shu in this tournament specifically too, like really showed out. I thought there was a lot of moments where Shu was was playing like an MVP. Yeah. And like was a difference maker for them in different fights. And and Iris just wasn't able to match it. I thought that their DPS lineup had the best tournament we've seen them have. Like Birdring and Kevster really were were together. And Kevster was a difference maker. And Kai and Pelican, well, Kai and Edison or Kai and Pelican, they both just had trouble um, competing with them specifically in here. I also think like as far as like um, hero pools for this specific tournament. I thought that Kevster and Birdring's hero pool fit more for what the meta was than what Atlanta had. So I think Atlanta mm-hmm. was also kind of handcuffed a little bit in that sort of way. Um, and then the stuff with Pelican, like it does matter, like sure, probably doesn't make a difference, but not being able to have him there for every map like that sucks. That that definitely does. And I do think it does change some things. And I think they still probably end up losing for Atlanta in this tournament. But I think it's maybe a little bit closer. Maybe they get a map or two. So uh, it, it is super unfortunate that that's the way it ended up going for them. But I think as far as the gameplay itself is concerned, too, like they still were super good. So. For sure. We talk about it. Well, we talked about it a little bit with that first Gladiators Chengdu game, but Kevster had a crazy tournament on the Tracer mostly. Um, 
tons of very strong pulse bombs, just terrorizing everybody's back lines. Where it, it it isn't until I think match six where he where there's a where an effort to actually kind of contain him really starts to succeed. But we'll get to there in a couple of minutes. Going through the losers bracket, Chengdu Hunters 3-0 over Seoul Dynasty. Seoul falling flat on this. I think we talked about we talked about this going into the Countdown Cup that Seoul during the regular season this year have been so consistent, but have just not had the playoff results that really need to become from this team. Uh, yeah. This is their first tournament they're actually in, though, too, right? So it's hard to really say. But I, I, I think more than anything, it was just like that's how much better than Chengdu was, and and how much better everybody else was just in the tournament than than um than where Seoul is. Like Seoul has like the the weird part is is like Seoul has the talent to to be a team competing for a championship in every single tournament and everything like that, and it feels like they still haven't fully put everything together. And and I, I I sometimes think I'm like, man, you know, is their support line their weakest part? Is that the part that matters most, or is it the tanks? I don't know where it is. Because I think mm-hmm. their DPS are like I think fits and profit, like, I don't think there's any problems there. I think that they're still incredible. Like those two I thought had pretty good performances. Like Fitz literally won them a map in the tournament by himself, basically, at the start. Mm-hmm. So I think if the the hero pools are open, it's maybe a little bit different. But at the same time, it I still just don't know what to expect from Seoul. They got here though, and and they still competed, so it's not like it was all bad. But I definitely was a little bit disappointed that they they lose out in a three zero fashion. I did think it was yeah. coming though. I did just with what we had seen with the gladiators and against Atlanta. There were a lot more. I saw like. I think people have come around to Fitz so much more in the past like year specifically about really kind of recognizing how strong of a DPS partner he is. And I saw a lot of that during the tournament, even where even like where he was, even when he was, when they were losing this game against Chengdu that people going like, man, it's played so freaking well going into the last game of the losers bracket, Atlanta rain versus Chengdu hunters. You kind of hope, you really hope for a stronger showing here. Um, Chengdu three O's Pelican gets the Pelican plays all three maps in this. I think they just go, they want to put their best guy out there, even with the ping difference. Um, it just doesn't happen. Atlanta. I don't know if you want to say they're boomed at this point. Um, Chung, or I think it's more accurately. Chengdu is just rolling so hard. They're playing so well at this point that Atlanta did not have a great chance of being able to kind of stop that momentum or being able to stop them. Well, I think Atlanta still played a pretty good game. Like, like they still like every map felt pretty close. Like it was a three zero, but it wasn't like superior dominance from Chengdu. Like there were dominant times, but Atlanta still had some moments. And, and I forget if it was Hanamura or if it was Blizzard World. Where it looked like they had a chance to win the map still too. And they just couldn't they just couldn't pull through. And it, it sucks because, you know, Pelican has a collapse long at like the worst possible time. But that's life, right? Like, I don't think Atlanta is going to be too upset about it. Like, I think they know that that if they have everybody in the same building, that they're going to be able to compete at a much higher level. Like they get third, they still get what you get one point, I think, for third. Right. Mm-hmm. So they still I mean- come away with something. 
They're one point on all three of these maps. They take a point on Ilios, a point on Hanamura, and a point on Blizzard World. I meant um, th- they get a the they get a league point, right? Yes, yes, they do. So that matters, right? Because mm-hmm. that puts them into a spot where they don't have to play in play-ins. So that matters. Like that mattered big time. So I I think that they're happy that they get that more than anything else. Because then then they jump San Francisco. And they don't have to worry about that. So I, I think that they come away with something that they're happy with. Um, but more than anything, I think here is like Chengdu is on the rise. This is their time to sort of get back and get revenge. And maybe now they finally get a championship. At least that's what you're thinking after they they play so well in the game. Mm-hmm. They really are just rolling on all cylinders. And you saw. So we talked about this a little bit at the beginning that um people were. A, there is a ton of steam added to the leave for MVP conversation this weekend. A lot of people really kind of got invested in leave for MVP. I think somebody was posting that um, you can look at the viewer. I'm not the viewer. Sorry. They were, they were showing like voting statistics and like a bunch. There's a ton of recent votes. And also like, I think almost all of like the Asian Chinese votes, I think are going behind leave right now. I would imagine With, Shu got has to get some of those votes in Asia though too. For oh, his Shu, performance this week. Shu netted a ton of MVP clout, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Um, why is it not? Oh, sorry. I'm trying to find the play in bracket for next topic, and it's not coming up. Um, but Leave looks great on the tracer this whole time, and really good on the Sombra as well. He's no like. His new, I, I don't remember who I saw say it might have been, I think it was either Avril or it might have been somebody else that like his neutral game on Sombra is so good. Just being hacking the right people, mm-hmm. um, being on top of people so that they can't make the plays they need to enable the rest of their team. So like, I think leave Sombra isn't like, I think I, I love seeing him on a more explosive hero so often that I kind of get disappointed sometimes when he's on Sombra, but it's still like such a big, important part of these games. It is. And if you think it's a better choice than having Jinmu on it, then then you kind of do that. And I feel like when they do put him on the Sombra, it's because they want Jinmu on something else, right? They've had him on the Pharah for that sometimes. So so that that was like one of the things that, that I at least I think of when I see of like things like that more than anything else. Like, okay, there's clearly purpose here to maybe why they want to do something like this. But we saw a lot of, we got, we saw a lot of Farah, Farah Hanzo, especially in the Atlanta game. And the, the it, I think that Jim is the best Farah in the world, right? I don't, I don't know if there's a question about that or not. Uh, I think in the power rankings in particular, I think he is rated the best Farah, if I remember correctly. So it's not too much of a surprise to see. Yeah, he's he's almost 10 points above the next person. Uh, The second being Fleta and third is Nero, actually, funny enough. Um, Sparkle took a bit of a drop, maybe because they didn't play it as much. But uh, the point is, is he's the best Pharah in the world. Put him on the hero he's also best at and you're going to have good results. And then we get to the we get to the championship match the countdown cup right off the bat Chengdu comes in with a much more direct plan of how to kind of quarantine Kefster 
um, who has spent most of this tournament being able to do a, like being able to have huge impact with Tracer being in the back line, picking people off. They spend a lot of time on the first couple maps. I think I remember mostly from this from the first map. I think when they're playing really like when they're winning maps, a bunch of it comes off of them really limiting what Kevster can do, whether it's through hacks, whether it's through focusing him at the beginning of team fights. They put a lot of attention on really taking him out. And it it proves it it proves to be a good strategy for them. I didn't I like watching this match and, and thinking about it. I didn't notice that as much as other people did, I guess. It just felt like more. Chengdu has always been a very good control map team. Like they're very talented. They like more chaotic styles. It just always felt like the maps where where that really succeeds. Was the maps where they were doing really well. I think they won every control map. That was played. Mm -hmm. Against the gladiators, if I'm not mistaken, in the entire tournament. Except for the the one in uh, the 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 one oasis was it oasis or I think it was oasis that made the difference in who would go to the winners final. Like I think that was the only control map that like the gladiators won the entire time. Mm -hmm. Maybe there was one more. I, I'm my brain's not working at a hundred percent. No, that was the only one. That was the only control map that the gladiators took all tournament from from Chengdu. So. I think that this is just something that suits them a little bit more. And they were playing the, the Tracer and the Sombra on control, where I think having Bird Ring on Soldier's not too bad, but is it going to be able to compete with what Chengdu wants to do? I, I didn't think it was as good of a choice. I think they, they just had the better team composition at times. And then it made it harder for Kevster to do what he needs to do when you don't have that extra person in Bird Ring who can take some of that attention away from him. At least in those style of composition. Chengdu starts off hot on Oasis, the 2-0 win. They go into Temple of Anubis, and LA, LA full holds them at the very front, which is like a huge momentum shift for them. You see them, like, we know in the past people have accused, whether or not it's warranted, people have accused the Gladiators of getting boomed early in a game and then having a hard time kind of struggling. And this whole game is a good rebuttal against that but they win anubis um full holding and then they go on they win numbani as well and route 66 afterwards so they go from being down one to being um in a two map lead to game point this is too where you like start to see the difference in having shoe versus anybody else for the most part on that flex mm -hmm. support spot and and there was a little bit of a difference in how they were playing flex supports here because Shu on the defense is playing Deanna, which is pretty standard. And then Monk was playing the Zenyatta. But you just saw a lot more value come through Shu than you were seeing come through Monk. And, and it sort of leads to why the, whole, the the full hold happens. Like even when Monk gets a pretty good transcendence, it gets negated because of a, a great anti-nade. Like they, they had an answer for what Chengdu was doing. And then Kevster and Bird Ring outperformed Leave and Jinmu. Um, I was a little surprised here that they stuck with the I think they played the wrecking ball from the beginning of their attack, too. And that made no sense to me because we know how hard it is to play wrecking ball on Temple of Anubis. And Gaga is such a good Winston. I was really disappointed in the fact that they didn't play the Winston or Chengdu on this map. I think that's one of those things that if like. 
they look at it from a strategy standpoint, like going back at it, they'll say, yeah, we probably should have played the Winston instead of the Wrecking Ball, and they probably would have done a lot better. Heck, they could have even put Monk on the Ana. I think Monk is a, I think I think Monk is a better Ana than he is a Zet. So to me, it would have made more sense to do those two things, and I think they may have they may have a better chance at winning the map. Or I don't think they get full hold at the very least. We also get to see one of your boys come in, um, far away, nineteen eighty seven, and far away, nineteen eighty seven, and Among come in for Route sixty six. Which, again, very tight. They hold LA Gladiators. So Chengdu holds them for what feels like forever on point B of Route 66. Like, they go from kind of getting... They get blown through for the first point. Um, for a large point of point B, they have a hard time stopping them. And then they sit on point B and hold them back for a really long time. I think almost three minutes. To where LA has a super tiny time bank coming out of this. They still go on to win the whole map, but the like it is still interesting to just see how much like they made a point in the map about how perception of a point changes where at the very beginning of a point that it can look like one team is rolling and then what how one stop can completely can completely turn the momentum of, of the rest of that map. The, the snowball, once it gets going, is really hard to stop. But if you stop it, they can kill everything for a team. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I. I think that's a really good point. And it definitely sort of felt like that might have been what happened here for Chengdu, because like. Man, they get so close. They just don't have enough at the end. There's a good map, though. It was it, it definitely was really good. What's odd to me is like, I guess the reason you put Among and Faraway 1987 in here is because I guess 1987, you have more confidence of him on the Zenyatta. I don't know. Like, I don't really understand the 1987 pick because, like, Monk plays the exact same two heroes, the Zen and the Anna. So that was the one thing I didn't really understand. And then Among, I get because you, maybe he's sort of the the Arisa ball specialist, although I think that Gaga is still probably better at both. So I don't quite understand why they did this on this map. When... There maybe it's a map defend like maybe it's a map dependent strategy, but in previous maps where they previous games where they have played Route sixty six in the Countdown Cup, they still kept Gaga and Monk in. So exactly. I do wonder. I wonder what the strategy was for subbing in Aming and nineteen eighty seven for that map. Yeah, I would like to know too because I just I just don't understand it, and it's not a throw because it's still a close map. It's just I don't know what those two players bring differently to the table. I don't know if it's a style of Wrecking Ball that's different for Among. It's really hard to tell because Wrecking Ball, there's kind of only one style, right? Like be a nuisance, uh, harass back lines, get out with your life. Like maybe he just knows ways to use ball on the map better. I, you know what I mean? It, it's hard to say with just looking at it while watching the um watching the game to know mm-hmm. why these two players are specifically in for this map when they haven't played before. And then getting to the last map of this fight, it's super tight. There was concern that like when this was happening, cause LA gets up three to one and then Chung do start gaining momentum, start taking map after map. 
and you worry that this is going to be the gladiators crumbling again, kind of dropping it. And they hold firm on Havana. They don't make it very far. Like they make it through. I take that back. They make it to um, the doorstep of point three. They don't fully complete it, but there's a couple things that are really cool out of this map. Number one, I think it's this map. No King. So King's row has the bird ring flick, right? Or is it Havana where he just like out of nowhere, like flick shots, the mercy. I forget which map it was, but that was, um, God, what map was that? I think it was either Havana or King's row, but bird ring hits a ton of great shots between King's row and Havana. Like there's one where he, like he burns down a, of like the pot, the pair of the pharmacy, like he hits, he chunks down the Farah, and then the mercy is like super jumping away. And he still gets her from like a decent far size away. I think in Havana, there's one where the Mercy's like trying to dodge in midair and he flick shots her. Yeah. It's first point Havana. Oh like he hits yeah. The flick shot. Okay. I remember now. Yeah. Like bird ring really bird ring has been great this whole series but we see a lot of him playing the hanzo on king's row and havana and he really kicks it into gear with the crazy shots i think people forget that he's still like one of the best dps players in the world like mm-hmm. sure there's a lot of other guys that are sort of above him right now but he is still he's ranked 12 as far as the power rankings are concerned right not where we've seen him before but when you pair that up with Kevster, who's number four, who we see is just a, a you know, a force to be reckoned with on the tracer. It makes for a very good pairing. And, and, and Kevster can play more than just the tracer, but the tracer's been so important in the league right now that that's what you've seen him on so much. And then... Looking at so what I think the big play from all like that comes out of this map is the second point hold on Havana that Chengdu is so Chengdu's killed a decent amount of L.A. It looks like they're about to take this map and then. Shu pulls off this incredible series of plays where He's in like the um, the hallway corridor, like underneath the platforms on point two, like right at the end of point two. He's like backing up. He's retreating. And then he does a decent bit. He does damage as he's walking out. Uh, Muse deserves credit because this, the Brigitte is about to come in and like kill him. And he um, he halts the Brigitte out of the hallway enough to where Shu can get out. He kills someone on his way out. I think it's he. I think he kills the brig on his way out, turns it around, goes on the open space, puts out the ultimate, the amp matrix, and then he takes out three people in that fight. I have to get the right order of events, but like it is, it's it's an incredible play. I think it's on Twitter too. Like we'll we'll definitely yeah, have a link side- to the play for the 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 Twitter link. But you're right. He he starts in that little room where I think if you're any normal person, you're like, oh crap, I have to get back with my team. So most people would probably force their way through like three players of the enemy team to get back with their team. Not Shu. Shu is a a pro for a reason, takes the long way around and basically flanks, kills a bunch, and then his team ends up winning. Well, and like single-handedly... Yeah, he single-handedly wins the fight, basically. He wins that fight, which wins them this game. Right, it's it's like, the, the, it's what wins them this series. 
it's like I already started seeing people like make like the copy pastas or like the memes of like, man, like there's no one I trust more than shoe with an ant matrix on Havana point two. Like, yeah, because I'm watching it right now. He like he takes the brig down from a hundred health, like from he like completely kills the brig from 100 percent health to zero mm-hmm. and then takes out Jinmu on the Genji. Well, no, he takes out the brig. He takes out the Orisa. He takes out the Genji like he is. It's an incredible play. And just you think too, like the amount of like the amount of discipline and presence that takes to be able to like to hit those shots as well, but like to maintain that positioning and to know where your team is, it's just incredible to watch. It's one of the greatest plays I think you'll ever see in Overwatch by support. Mm -hmm. It's just that amazing what he's able to do. And it's really nice that he finally gets an opportunity for people to see how good of a support he is. Um, Cause I think a lot of people were confused as to why he was on there, but like, he's always been somebody, I mean, he was, he was the captain of, he was the captain of the Guangzhou charge. charge. Yeah. yeah. So it, it's, it's very easy to see that one. He, he obviously is somebody that in a leadership position, people trust. And two, his play speaks for itself, especially when you get to see him in a tournament like this. He made some ridiculous play on King's Row as well. That was just absolutely nuts. Mm-hmm. That that really impressed me. Um, and he did that on multiple maps as well. But he he just you you could see why he ended up on the list, right? Because clearly the coaches and other people were paying attention to that, even though the gladiators were struggling this season. He was never somebody who was like that far below on like the the top support lists or anything like that as far as power rankings and stuff. And what a surprise. His team's playing well and he jumps up into the top five overall as far as players on the power rankings. Right. The only people above him are Hanbin, Fearless, Fade and Fate and Void. Mm-hmm. Right? So. It, it's definitely really cool to see him get his moment in the sun finally um, and that his team allows him to do that. And it, like I get it. Like there's a very easy it's very easy to sort of pick him after a tournament like this for MVP. I still don't know he's definitely now much higher on my ballot, but I don't know if I put him above a couple of people. Yeah, I agree. Well, and that will continue to get decided, I think, as we get on the doorstep of playoffs. Gladiators take this game four to three. Very fun series very tight series go back and watch it if you haven't yeah it's very much worth watching um i think the entire tournament was like this was yeah there was two 3-0 games but a lot of the games were still really fun even the 3-0 games they weren't like super crazy stops so i definitely think there's a lot of games worth checking out and i'm really excited to see how things are going to change once we get into hero pools being out again is like I think all of these teams will still be pretty good, but man, th- there's a lot that changes now that we got hero pulls back out of there. So looking at, we actually have a look ahead at the brackets for two weeks from now when the play-ins begin. Um, so far for the East region plans, we'll go over this more next week. I think. Well, we'll see as well, because we'll have we have two weeks in between when. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm just I am a noodle brain today. So West play ins are going to be on Saturday, 
September 4th through Sunday, September 5th. East plans will be Sunday, September 5th. Look at the East really quick. Uh, match number one is going to be the Hangzhou Spark and the Philadelphia Fusion. The winner of that is going to go on to face the Seoul Dynasty. The winner of that is going to go on to the playoffs. And then looking at the West region play-ins, um, pa- either Paris or Boston, I think. I don't know how they decided this, but uh, here, let me let me send you the tweet, Lobosco. Let me send you the tweet. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, they don't have anything on Overwatch League yet. Like they have weird Liz, schedule stuff right now. Liz posted it, so that's why I like I don't know where she got this from. But um probably from the Overwatch League Twitter. That's what this looks like. This looks like graphics from there. So is that either Paris or Boston for these first two ones? Pretty much match one is gonna be either Paris or Boston versus the Justice. Match two is gonna be either Paris or Boston versus the Defiant. And then from there, the Shock get to apparently pick who they play out of those two slots. Whoever wins that, the Shock will get to pick their opponent. The Outlaws play the other one. And then from there, whoever wins those two games advances to the playoffs. Shock, I think, still have a really, like... I think they're if in. There's, Shock, I think, will make it in. I honestly just have no faith in Houston as, a, as someone who has been conditioned to not have any faith in Houston. So we'll see what happens. Um, I would love it if Houston can make it to playoffs. I, the, my expectations are low enough. Like they make it to playoffs. I'm stoked. I'm excited. <laughs> you, you are. Um, you are for sure. A Cubs fan for sure. I know oh, you're not man. a Cubs fan, but you sound like a Cubs fan. <laughs> it's funny. It's just so funny to me. And I have to point it out every time. Just looking at this. I, I wonder how they determine who Paris and plays. Like, is there a game that they're going to play to figure this is a coin flip? Like. I'm really confused. Yeah, by how they figured this out. Regardless of that, like looking at it, so Paris, Boston, Washington, Toronto are like our four teams here to determine who who will play um against either Houston or San Francisco. I think Washington loses to either Paris or Boston. Whoever they end up having to play. I don't know how they decide this, but I think Toronto's got a very good chance of making it through. And I think that ends up being the team that ends up playing Houston. And then I think that San Francisco probably takes whoever ends up winning the other game. I don't know. I guess like just looking at it, the the teams that maybe you're most fearful of, if you're Houston or or San Francisco would be Paris and Toronto, Mm -hmm. right? At least that's what I see here when I look at that part of it specifically. The East is a little interesting as well, because obviously you only have the one play in game. I think you're going to get a rematch of, of Philly versus Seoul. So I think that'll be a really good game because the spark just have not inspired any confidence in me at all this season. So mm-hmm. that one's that feels a little bit easier to sort of figure out. Whereas on the, the West side, I think it's a lot more interesting. And then let's see, let's look at the West side is a little bit more interesting. I like, who knows? Justice could all of a sudden come in. The meta is perfect for them and they have their heads on straight and they make a run. But I think with how slow we've seen them be to adapt to metas, I don't see that happening. I don't know. I think one thing for sure, though, regardless of any of this, I was just thinking about this, but I, I feel like D-Pay needs to get a little bit more credit than than he's been getting as of late. Yeah, um, this just popped into my mind. As we kind of move through that final game real fast, but and, and this is something that's never felt like a problem to me with with um, the gladiators. Like I never felt like they didn't realize what the meta was. 
I've never felt like they were they were ever like playing in weird positions or anything like that. It always seemed like a, a, a thing about. In previous years, did they have the talent? And then this year it's been, OK, have they finally come together yet or not? Because this is definitely the most talented uh, gladiators roster I think they've ever had. Definitely. I do think that. um Deepay definitely deserves the credit for this. And this is, I think this is the best we've seen out of the gladiator so far, as far as like what they've accomplished. I do. I am interested to see what happens for them in playoffs. Their spots locked up. So they've made it. Um, also Chung Du's spot is locked up. So we know they've made it as well. Yeah. So same with Atlanta and Dallas. That one, that one point makes a difference for Atlanta. Mm -hmm. Like, Sure, they lose 3-0 to Chengdu, and that sucks, but getting third place made the difference from them being in a play-in game or them not being in a play-in game. And we'll see we'll see what happens with them going forward. I am I'm excited to see what happens with playoffs. Um I am just I'm bummed we're getting towards the end of it, but I like I said at the beginning of the show, it's this season has been fun to follow. This season has been really fun to follow. I'm excited. I've been very happy to watch as a fan and as somebody who just podcasts about this game. I think this season, I think my favorite season was two. I think that was my favorite season. But this has been a great season. I thought last year was really good, though, too, even considering everything that happened in the world. Mm. I don't I think one is maybe. I don't even consider it my least favorite season. It's just the one. That matters maybe the least to me now in hindsight, although it also had some of my favorite players and like personalities that I still pay attention to outside of them playing in Overwatch League. So it's definitely it's a season that has different meanings for me, Um, but this season has been a lot of fun. The games have been really good, and I think this has definitely been the most competitive season we've had. I do think that that does stand up. Looking forward to what comes next in the coming weeks. But that's going to be it for episode 116 of Push the Point. Thanks for hanging out. We appreciate you. Whether it's on Twitch, like we said, at twitch.tv slash mash those buttons Sundays at 8 or 8.30 p.m. PST. And if you want to help us out, please leave us a review on your podcast platform of choice, whether it's iTunes or something else. We always read each new review we get out on the show. And it's a great way of letting us know what you like and what we can make better about the show. We also invite you to join us in the Mash Those Buttons community, and you can do that by going to discord.me slash mash those buttons. It's going to keep you up to date with all of your favorite shows from the network. You know, if you're somebody who is a WoW player and you're getting into Final Fantasy 14, guess what? Both those games have podcasts mm-hmm. uh, either way. But if you're somebody new to Final Fantasy 14, there there is a podcast for that. So uh, there's so there's a bunch of good ones. You'll hear a few of them right after we're done here. Patreon.com slash mash those buttons to support the network a little as a dollar a month and you get access to Patreon exclusive content. Oh, yeah. For the um, Discord uh, game night, I don't know if we were actually what we're doing. If we're even now, doing we, it. We've been working on it. I know I've been gone for the past couple of weeks. Um, September is a crazy busy month for me. So I'm trying to figure out how we set stuff up. But um, I think we're going to talk with people in game like to see what we want to do going forward. Yeah, because I know that there's still a lot of has. I mean, I still haven't touched Overwatch since the news dropped about Blizzard. Um, so I I get hesitation. And, and that's part of why we haven't done anything, too. 
but maybe there's some other things we'll do. Who knows? Either way, one of the ways you can keep up to date with all of that is by paying attention to our Twitter at pushpoint pod is where you will find that. Or you can email us push the point at gmail.com. If you have some detailed uh, thing that you think we should do, you can send it there. So either one of those will work. Definitely follow the Twitter. Yes, sir. If you want to follow Labosco's Twitter, you can find him at his very, very conveniently named handle at Labosco. Yep. That's my Twitter. And you can find me on Twitter at Ramsey's underscore OW. Which I was I was talking with a friend today about like all <laughs> the amount of people whose Twitter still have OW in them who have gone on to other things. Like XQC is one of the top five biggest streamers in the world. And like the man still has OW in all of his stuff. We. You know, it's funny. Um, I think he, he finally got it off of Twitch a while ago, but um, it, him and Moon Moon don't have it on Twitch, but Moon Moon also still has it on Twitter like he does. Mm. Moon Moon underscore OW is still Moon Moon, <laughs> which is like the, I don't even the last time the dude played played Overwatch was like him and like Stir and a few others just played like a couple random days, like two for like two random days, like up almost a year ago now it was probably like it's eight months nine months ago so yeah like it, it is funny that they still don't have that in there but they still have that in their handle and that's gonna be it for episode 116 of push the point thanks for hanging out be safe take care of yourself stay healthy and we'll see you next week unless we tell you otherwise we'll keep you in the we'll keep you updated on twitter at push point pod like we already said thanks for hanging out and we'll see you soon later Thanks for listening to a Mash Those Buttons production. If you enjoyed the show, you should check out MashThoseButtons.com and see if any of our other shows might interest you. All of our shows are available on your podcast platform of choice like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and more. If you enjoy our content, you can help support Mash Those Buttons by becoming a patron at Patreon.com slash MashThoseButtons, where you can receive Patreon bonuses for as little as $1 a month. You can connect with Mash Those Buttons at Twitter.com slash The Mash Network, Facebook.com slash Mash Those Buttons, or join our Discord at mash.gg slash Discord. 